Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, March 6th, 2023. On the show today, news, listener questions, and more. Then in our main segment, Jim finishes up the history of Disney using Walt's image in the parks. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says it takes a lot of nerve to call him honey if you're about to tell him you shrunk the children. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Len. And quick aside, of course, to the Honey, I Shrunk franchise at the company, but there was this amazing article after the first film came out, I want to say in the summer of 89, where it listed all of the possible titles that Disney had trademarked for follow-ups. So there was uh, Honey, I Xerox the Kids. Honey, I Sent the Kids to the Moon. And (laughs) my personal favorite, Honey, I I Traded Brains with the Dog. (laughs) You know, I'd like to point out that of those three titles, none of them are mutually exclusive. (laughs) <laughs> well, there we go. Wow. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. Double feature here, Jim. Double feature. <laughs> wow. I will have to circle back to the Honey, I Shrunk TV series to see if any of those ideas. I mean, it ran for three seasons. Yeah, you'd think that I at wonder- some point they're like, okay, who's got what for ideas? I know, there the moon. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So I can imagine, like, like take a show that's been on forever, like Grey's Anatomy, mm-hmm. right? The writers have to come into that room. Mm-hmm. Every week going, we've done this for, how many was it, 20 seasons? We've done 400 episodes. Every possible idea has got to have been exhausted. Like, I haven't seen Grey's Anatomy, but if mm-hmm. they haven't done a dream sequence episode or a musical number by now, I would be shocked. Imagine sitting there in the room and say, okay, what operation haven't we done? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> The, the the New England Journal of Medicine is required reading just for the unusual stuff that comes up. <laughs> hey, look, somebody did a tracheotomy while doing a headstand. That's our sweeps episode. <laughs> you ate a caterpillar and what happened? Okay, right. Somebody, somebody get this done. All right. Anyway. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Carolyn Hughes, AC Davis 89 and Megan Orban. And longtime subscribers, Dave MJ, Bob 951 Forever, and Amanda Mathau. Jim, these are the folks who invented the potato croutons for the new chilled potato and leek soup vichyssoise with bacon, lardons, chive oil, and crispy leeks at the Farmer's Feast booth at Epcot's Flower and Garden Festival, which opened this week. They say the idea came from a dating app prompt, believe it or not, that asked, what's your love language? And decided that whatever that language was, it had the words potato and croutons in it. True story. Worth noting here with the opening of a flower and garden, we, we need to reach out to your sister. It's time. It's time to, to push you back on. <laughs> yes. It's time for me to become the third most popular member of this two-person show. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. You know, 
I don't take offense. As long as the train keeps moving, I don't care who the conductor is, you know? <laughs> Love the attitude, Landon. And as somebody who often is the caboose, I completely understand. So, yeah. it's, a, it's a team effort. All right. There we go. All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, uh, some news out of Walt Disney World. Both Epcot and Typhoon Lagoon have been added to the After Hours program. So Epcot is mostly Thursdays, starting June 1st, so just in time for summer vacation. Cost is $129 to $139 for adults so far. Kids are $99. Mm-hmm. Also, Typhoon Lagoon runs this summer as well. It starts uh, Saturdays, May 20th, and runs through early September from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. So the cost is $75 for adults, $70 for kids, and you can get into the park at 6 p.m. And Jim, I think this is interesting because, as we all know, once the afternoon rain showers happen in central Florida, people generally bail out of that park by 4 o'clock. So by 6... Mm-hmm. You go from 6 to 11, that is, I know it's five hours, that is a full day in Typhoon Lagoon. What was the Pixar-themed after-hours thing that they, they did over at Typhoon Lagoon? It's H2O Glow is the, is the thing that they're doing now. And remember, that was very production-heavy yeah. hard ticket. So um, I'm going to be fascinated with, to uh, what they do in regard to the Saturday evening exclusives you know what are they going to do to to make that a a must do it wasn't really surprising to me that epcot got after hours because jim you've been following what's been going on at the magic kingdom in the studios most of those are selling out right so to add epcot disney's really just testing demand here especially with guardians open now and with remy open as well plus Spaceship Earth looks great at night, so there's a there's a visual thing there, yeah. But Typhoon Lagoon, not that mildly surprising. It is, it is, and keep an eye on Animal Kingdom. I've been hearing some interesting things about projects in the works for that park. Mm. More about making the front of that park something that could potentially run in the evening hours. The other thing that I found uh, notable about this announcement. Mm is that we've got three parks now with mm-hmm. paid after, or four parks with the theme, with the water park, four parks mm-hmm. with after-hours hard-ticket events. We've got mm-hmm. two parks with extended evening theme park hours. I still blame okay. Bob Chapek. All right, uh, Jim, another uh, announcement. Disney's set a reopening date of April 1st, no fooling, for mm-hmm. Narcoosies over at the Grand Floridian. And uh, Disney also released some of the items on the new menu. For me, one of the most interesting is a new take on a charcuterie board. And what's interesting about it is that it's seafood-based with ahi tuna pastrami, octopus, and Jim, something called seafood sausage. Hmm. Another one of these want to hear what Chrissy has to say moments. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. We'll we'll center on. You know, seafood sausage to me is an interesting turn of phrase because Mm -hmm. when I think of Seafood that is pretending to be something else. It's, mm-hmm. uh, what's the fish that tastes like crab? It's like the <laughs> imitation crab substitute, but it does really taste like crab, but it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. It, that's what I think yep. of. Like, this thing is supposed to be something else, and that's what I'm getting out of that. So, we'll, we'll see what happens. Also, um, I think we've talked about this too, Jim. There's supposed to be a fairly significant interior redesign at mm-hmm. Narcoosis. I personally am going to miss the 80s hotel vibe 
from their QCs, but they've apparently made it one level, which is be easier for uh, you know wheelchairs and ECVs and stuff like that. So we'll okay. see. Okay. Also, uh, Cinderella is coming back to meals at Cinderella's Royal Table. Mm-hmm. As a result of that, Disney's raised breakfast prices by twenty dollars per person and dinner by $12 per person. So breakfast is now $65 for adults, $39 for kids. Lunch and dinner is $79 for adults, $47 for kids. But it's good to have Cinderella back. It is, it is. My problem is with the theme of the first part of today's show. It's like, this is a new hard ticket, and we're raising prices here, and it's just sort of like, how big was that shortfall again for Disney Plus? I know, know. yeah. (laughs) I feel like the Mandalorian should be sending us all thank you cards. There we go. Also, uh, Jim, Chef Mickey's has returned to buffet dining, which Mm -hmm. is another checkmark in the list of things that are now uh, pre-pandemic. Good, good, good. Mm -hmm. And then over in Disneyland... Disney's released concept images for the new Disneyland Villas. Have you seen these, Jim? Yeah, and they're this weird mix of Disney-specific and Motel 6. I felt the same thing. Like, I was looking at this uh, going, if I didn't know this was the in Disneyland, what hotel was it? Mm. So the, um, the new Disneyland Villas have a mix of two-person studios, four-person studios, one- and two-bedroom villas, and then the three-bedroom grand villas. Uh, sample images are up on Disney's site. The uh, the mm-hmm. studio that sleeps two is themed to the Jungle Book. So you've got uh, lots of green. You've got uh, Baloo mm-hmm. in the back and lots of palm trees or palm fronds. Mm-hmm. The studio that sleeps four is themed to Sleeping Beauty and Princess and the Frog. And Jim, uh, mm-hmm. we have the, uh, the concept art in the show notes there. I looked at this... And my first first thought here was contemporary studio or Bay Lake Tower studio. I mean, it's got sleek, it's clean. For lack of a better term, these are Disney accents, right? Right. That's the thing. So I was looking at this going, of the DVC properties that Disney owns, Mm -hmm. what could this not be? And, you know, probably not Hilton Head, probably not Vero Beach, probably not Mm -hmm. Saratoga, probably not Old Key West. Mm Mm-hmm. Could it be Wilderness Lodge? Hmm. Well. I, yeah, I mean, the, the fact that we haven't said obviously not, right, yeah. <laughs> is yeah. something there, right? You know, could it be Animal Kingdom Lodge? I mean, if you go up and look at the Baloo, mm-hmm. could it be Animal Kingdom Lodge? You know, if you're looking to do a refresh, you know, the Grand California with its its villas is yeah. basically the sister resort of Wilderness Lodge. I yeah. Mean, Peter Dominic did that as well as right. Animal Kingdom Lodge. So, yeah. Let's look ahead five years and see where we are here. <laughs> exactly. Okay, exactly. Know. And when I was looking at the one-bedroom and two-bedroom, I was like, mm-hmm. it reminded me a lot of Riviera. Like, my first glance was like, that's the Riviera. And I like the Riviera. Don't get me wrong, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, in looking at this further, I'm like, you know, you could stretch it and say Boardwalk Villas. Like, mm-hmm. you, could, you could definitely squint your eyes and say Boardwalk Villas here. You could probably mm-hmm. also slightly change up some of the colors, like go from that sort of like emeraldy green blue to a lighter blue and go beach club. I can definitely say this. I do, I do think the Grand Villa, if you look at the Grand Villa, absolutely mm-hmm. 100% reminds me of mm-hmm. the Grand Villas at Bay Lake Tower because it's a two-story thing mm-hmm. and it's got a contemporary design that is 100% reminiscent of and of the Bay Lake Tower Grand Villa. And I like that. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I like that room. <laughs> I don't know. There's a certain aspect of this that reminds me of that moment during the eye test. This one or this one? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. <laughs> that, that, 
sitting back going, the Grand Californian or Wilderness Lodge. Have you seen the, uh, the, the meme that incorporates the office characters and it says corporate needs to find you to find the difference in these two pictures? And, no. uh, and the, the tagline is they're both the same. All right. Anyway, same thing. All right. <laughs> so that's the, uh, that's the news. Jim, let's move on to listener questions. We've got a couple here. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them okay. is this. It's from Alicia. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be vacationing in Orlando this spring, and some of our group is continuing to mask indoors, so we're looking for great restaurant options that have outdoor seating. We aren't going into the parks, but we love so many Disney restaurants that are on property. Do you know which restaurants on property at Disney World, outside of the parks, have outdoor dining available? Okay. And Jim, I love this question for two reasons. The first reason is mm-hmm. I have an answer for it. And that's always the sign of a good mm-hmm. question, right? Um, but this, <laughs> I once said that on a corporate call. I was like, Jim, that's a great yep. question. And it's a great question because I have an answer for it, which cracked everybody up. Feel free to use that on your next corporate call. Okay. But the other reason that I like this is I'm, you know, I'm updating the unofficial guidebook and I'm going through mm-hmm. the dining survey results from all of the surveys that we got last year. So this ties in mm-hmm. very well to that. And I'll give you guys a little preview of what those dining results are. So, uh, so Alicia, a couple of, uh, a couple of things here. Number one, I'm assuming you're looking here, not only for outdoor seating, but for good food, right? Because Paradiso 37 at Disney Springs has outdoor seating, mm-hmm. but it's one of the lowest rated restaurants in Walt Disney World. And I would not send you there. Right. And my, actually in my show note, I wrote, you'd be better off eating takeout pizza on a trash can in Epcot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let me, wow. let me, I, let me know. give you some ideas. Go ahead, Jim. For me, what's fascinating about Paradiso 37 is that, hell, that project predates Disney Springs. That was actually It was actually announced as part of the Hyperion Wharf thing that that then kind of fell by the wayside. Consistently one of the lowest rated restaurants in Disney Springs. And yet, every time I walk by, it's packed. And I I don't don't know. I don't know. All right. Anyway, so Alicia, here's some ideas for you. A lot of the top-rated restaurants at Disney Springs do have outdoor seating. So Haleo, which is the top-rated restaurant in Disney Springs. If you go all the way through the restaurant in the back, um, there are seats that um, sort of like follow the back of the restaurant and look out over the water. They're shaded, Mm -hmm. which is good. I will say during summer, it is a little bit humid back there. It is completely Mm -hmm. covered, but that's your option. And I don't know that that's the best view of the water. It's Mm -hmm. It's a little industrial, but you know, if you look past the air conditioning and the ductwork back there, the far view is good. Mm-hmm. Homecoming, which has outdoor seating, oddly enough, out front, uh, is also mm-hmm. undercover. So that's good in the event of rain as well. Homecoming is the number two uh, rated uh, restaurant. Another uh, advantage of going to uh, Homecoming and doing the out for, up front outdoor undercover seating is inside, the music is set on stun. It's not a conducive to conversation kind of restaurant, whereas outside in the patio, easy to talk and to dig into some amazing food. Yeah, it's uh, it's true. the uh, The bar is a little bit more quiet at homecoming, but uh, but that's not that's indoors. Number three, boathouse, mm-hmm. and going back to the humidity thing, Alicia, it's directly over the water, so tons of humidity mm-hmm. uh, there. You you do get a little bit of the water smell as mm-hmm. well. But you get over it in a couple of minutes. It uh, some of that is shaded, some of it's not. So look out for that. But uh, but Boathouse again, very highly rated restaurant. And you can wave wave to the people in the aqua cars. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you get a little whiff of diesel exhaust too. Sure. There we go. <laughs> sure. yeah. A soup song. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, but but Boathouse very highly rated. Mm-hmm. And then Raglan Road, 
which has a patio on the side. So if you're facing the entrance, the patio will be on your left. I don't think the patio is the best atmosphere, but the food is good. And Jim, to your point, the music isn't quite as loud outside mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as it is on the inside. So those are your three choices. Also, depending on what time of day you go, the building around Raglan Road, the structure itself, will provide a little bit of shade. Excellent point. And then over at the resorts, I've got, uh, I've got th- I think, two or three options. Um, one, Geyser Point at Wilderness Lodge. That's a huge favorite. Super popular. Mm-hmm. Relatively easy to get into. I would still make reservations if you can mm-hmm. or get there early. They've got covered seating on the inside and then tables on the outside too as well. Also, the highest rated restaurant at Coronado Springs is the Three Bridges Bar and Grill, not Toledo. That has covered seating as well. That's much above average for dining there. Uh, So that's an option if you can get into either of those places. Mm. And then I think, Jim, the last time I was at Grand Floridian Cafe, last time I was cutting through the Grand Floridian, I thought I saw outdoor tables at the Grand Floridian Cafe. Like, you know, in that, on that sort of like porch area mm-hmm. on the backside of the resort, thought mm-hmm. I saw plates there from people who had, who had eaten breakfast and you know, either dined and dashed or, uh, uh, you know, finished their meal and, and, and went off. Isn't the lobby at the Grand Flow about to undergo kind of a giant redo? This or? is in the back, though. Okay. Okay. So I just I, I'm just wondering what the impact would be. I oh, mean, if right, anything, yeah. you might see them do more outdoor dining. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. Oh, so that might be another option. Awesome. Okay. Cool. All right. So, Alicia, whatever you try, let us know uh, what you do and uh, and get back to us. Mm-hmm. All right. One more quick question from Dan, who says, mm-hmm. uh, and Jim, this is for you. Sometimes mm-hmm. in the past, an attraction gets rethemed when it loses its sponsor. We saw this with, with Test Track, The Living mm-hmm. Seas, Listen to the Land. And journey to imagination. Is it part of the initial contract with the sponsor that the theme that ran under that sponsorship is, quote, theirs? I know that when a new sponsor comes on, they want some things changed, but some of the above attractions went without a sponsor for a while. Keep up the good work, Dan. I've actually, uh, for a project that, that Len and I have been working on, spent entirely too much time studying the history of if you had wings, which you then became Delta uh, Dream Flight. What was interesting is that there was a, a weird period between if you had wings, where they literally stripped all of the Eastern Airlines signage off, and it, it, it became if you could fly. If you could fly. That's you can right. Fly. I forget. Yeah, that was a very short, but uh, but basically the same ride, right? Well, yeah, I no. forgot I, about that. that. That's wow. And then what was interesting is they, they then came in and basically they kept the Omnimover in place, and, but it's kept the exact same track route, flattened all of the sets and then built Delta Dreamflight and the exact same thing happened. Yeah, you know, yeah. Delta stepped away and then it became take flight i I forgot about that too (laughs) yeah you know and this all predates buzz and it was just one of these situations where it's like the imaginators got really good at unscrewing signs during this period i was gonna say that uh, some some of these effects by the end are just velcroed in place (laughs) you know (laughs) what (laughs) but you know to dan's point Mm -hmm. of the four versions that you just mentioned i only remember the two sponsored versions Ha! Huh. Mm. How about that? It's that amnesia fog that you know yeah. that they, they pump into the attraction. It's like, <laughs> hi, you're riding for four minutes. You have no idea what you're doing. It's like it, it, it is very interesting that yes, they will consult 
for example, if you had wings, mm-hmm. every place you saw in that, you know, <laughs> that attraction, coincidentally, was some place that Eastern Airlines flew. And yeah. then to nail home the idea, when you got off the attraction, there was actually an Eastern travel desk in the post show area. It wasn't the uh, wasn't the departure sign also branded. There we go. Yeah. There we go. And it yeah. just, but it was just, you had the right to consult on the attraction, but as soon as the check stopped coming, it's like, by the way, we own this attraction. So, again, we pulled the signage off, we operated until some other airline comes along and says, hey, we want that right. And, and which is why, again, we should be grateful that Southwest didn't show up with a check at the right time because we might not have ever gotten Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger spin. I mean, we would have, uh, we would have had uh, flights to Tulsa instead of Mexico. There we go. There we go. You know what? Let's let's visit the exotic Midwest of the United States. And I would have been fine with that. That's fine, too. But to Dan's point, and when I was thinking about this, Jim, I was thinking more about um, the various iterations of Kitchen Cabaret at Epcot. And so for me, yep. songs like Veggie, Veggie, Fruit, Fruit mm-hmm. were so linked to that particular version of mm-hmm. that attraction that I can imagine a sponsor coming in and going... Right idea, right? We still want songs about good nutrition, but we can't just do that because people associate that song with the previous sponsor, right? For right or wrong, for good or bad, right? Yeah. Definitely. It just, for me, I've always wondered what would have happened with the land if uh, I'm, I'm blanking the name of the giant paper company that was the original sponsor. Uh, when they were working on the attraction, only to then, you know, have them drop out and get Kraft's food. Why has her? There we go. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that that had a very different set of shows, yeah. that had a yeah. very different theme. And <laughs> on the other hand, once Kraft came aboard, it was, it was largely about casseroles. <laughs> Uh, you know, the Nestle and Kraft sponsorships of that pavilion <sighs> made some great stuff. Yeah. Not, not yeah. going to lie. All right, good memories, Jim. Good memories. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim finishes up the talk about how Disney's tried to use Walt's likeness in the parks. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Never read the comments. That's the one piece of advice you'll hear over and over again from people who work on the web. But as someone who's been consistently posting stuff online since September of 1998, Yep, 25th anniversary coming up later this year. I have to admit that I do, in fact, read the comments, largely because, well, if you're first going to gather, then grow, and and finally keep an audience, it's really important for you, as the content creator, to listen to what these people are saying. But here's the thing. You always have to remember, as you're reading these comments, that you're never really as bad as they say you are, but conversely, you're also never really as good as they say you are either. That important lesson, don't believe the hype, especially your own hype, was one that I learned relatively late in life. I I turned 64 later this month, by the way. But then again, getting to really know yourself is a lifelong process. And if you're of a mind these days to do some introspection, well, therapy is a very good way to deepen your sense of self-awareness and understanding. Because face it, we human beings are complex creatures, and sometimes we just don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk things through. 
And if therapy is something you're considering, BetterHelp can help connect you with a licensed therapist, someone who can then help you develop positive coping skills or or teach you how to set boundaries. That's the real beauty of therapy. It can eventually empower you to become the very best version of yourself. And what's great about BetterHelp is it's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Disney Dish today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jim, thank you, by the way, for taking over last week while I was on my cruise. Well, I hope you and Hannah had a great time. It was uh, absolutely wonderful. So I went with Hannah and uh, five of her young adult friends. Oh, you didn't mention that part. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Uh, does, does the term herding cats mean anything it, to you? It was. It was like, look. Two of you cannot be. Two of, of, of you five cannot be drunk at the same time. Don't <laughs> don't do that to me. <laughs> Let's coordinate this. You know. Um, okay. But we went on Virgin. It was super fun. I learned a lot. If uh, I we can't obviously say this on the show, uh, but mm-hmm. if you want to know uh, what it takes to get kicked off of a Virgin Voyages cruise, I now learned that from someone who did. Not in my group, thankfully. Oh. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was super fun. I like uh, I like Virgin. Uh, quite a bit. Weather was perfect too. Never got below seventy three. Never got above oh. seventy eight. Not a cloud in the sky. Enjoy that with your snow coming up this weekend. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Foot of snow. Early March. Are you killing me? Okay. Anyway, uh, so uh, last week was part two of our mm-hmm. feature on Walt's likeness, and uh, we left off, I mm-hmm. believe, because I listened to the show where mm-hmm. uh, uh, how Walt was portrayed in films like Saving Mr. Banks. And uh, by the way, a number of Disney Dish listeners wrote in because they liked Thomas Ian Nichols' performance mm. of Walt. In uh, have you ever seen this film, uh, Walt Before Disney? I've seen the, uh, I've seen the, I watched the trailer for it, but I didn't see it. Was it good? Again, came out in 2015. Was based on Timothy uh, Susanen's book from 2011, Walt Before Mickey, uh, Disney's mm-hmm. early years, uh, 1919 through 1928, and. Diane Disney Miller must have approved of this University of Press of um, Mississippi publication because she wrote the foreword to the book. Oh, there you go. Walt before Mickey, perfectly fine film. Uh, shot in uh, Orlando and Deland, Florida, which doesn't which was, for, sure. I mean, yeah. uh, Missouri, sure. But kind of appropriate given the history of, of Walt with the Laughograms and the the Alice comedies. It shot on a very tight budget and equally tight schedule. Uh, director Cole Lee uh, was hired virtually at the last minute, and supposedly the actors were only allowed two takes before you know it looked. <laughs> we need to move along here. It's, um, it's either the NYU film school methodology, or it's we don't have any money. Could be both. There we Could be both. Go. Right, okay. There we go. And uh, look for a film shot under those conditions 
it's perfectly fine. But but one pet peeve of mine, though, Walt before Mickey indulges a trope, which I absolutely hate. It's just, you know, it's the, the Walt in his studio at night alone, mm. and then a, a little mouse comes out from the wall, and, and Walt befriends it, feeds a little cheese and talks to it, and then it's just sort of like... I'm sorry. I know people love this fantasy of, of this was the origin of Mickey, and it's like, yeah. but, but it it undercuts the truth. I mean, the whole thing of Walt going to New York and being told by Pat Powers, it's like, hey, I hired away all of your animators. Well, most of them, and uh, you know, you owe me three more cartoons, but then you're gone. So Mickey wasn't born out of oh my cute little friend who visited me. That sheer desperation. Walt needed something, and, and he conferred with our Byworks, and it was just like, let's kind of do what we know already. And if you put Mickey from 1928 alongside of Oswald, you know, it's like, look, it's the same character. You know, the difference is Mickey has round ears, Oswald has long ears, you know, and Oswald has a cute, fluffy tail where Mickey has a long, thin tail. They're the same character. Mm. If you, you would tell the truth, you know, that Mickey was created under huge pressure, and to be honest, also on the sly. They'd work during the day on the Oswald shorts, and then the other animators would go home, and then iWorks would put in the equivalent of a full day <laughs> animating the early Mickey shorts. By the way, Jim, uh, have you have you heard the tale about Mickey, M-I-C-K-Y, mouse, that existed before Walt came up with M-I-C-K-E-Y, Mouse. Ooh, no, I have not. I will have to look into that. Uh, a couple of the, the blogs that I, that I read mm -hmm. pointed out that there was a well-known animation mm -hmm. character and, and toy character mm -hmm. named Mickey, M-I-C-K-Y, Mouse, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. existed prior to the origin story of Walt, you know, on the train and stuff like that. And... If you search, first of all, if you search, if you do a Google search for M-I-C-K-Y mouse, it'll say, mm -hmm. we're showing M-I-C-K-E-Y mouse, but if you really mean M-I-C-K-Y, click this link. Do that. Mm -hmm. um, because apparently there were even toys in the shape of M-I-C-K-Y mouse being sold in New York contemporaneous to the time that Walt was in New York on that visit to the distributors. Len, if you listen carefully right now, there are Disney copyright lawyers who are reaching for that bottle of scotch in their drawer. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, 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 it's 100 years later, Jim. <laughs> I, I know, well I know, the but of limitations. <laughs> I know, but we're in that weird window of time where suddenly, you know, there is these issues about Mickey's copyright and we don't need anything muddying the water at I this know, point. I know, I know. It's, it's, the reason why I pointed out is we have always on this show said mm -hmm. this is the corporate story. It is cleaned and sanitized, and it yep. sounds great. But yep. there's other things around it too. And I'm not saying that the two are linked. I'm saying that mm -hmm. there was a character called Mickey who looked like a mouse before the creation of Mickey Mouse around mm -hmm. the time, and it was the the toys were definitely sold in New York when Walt was there. Also, mm -hmm. Jim, I believe there was a lawsuit. After Mickey M I C K E Y Mouse became popular, to stop the selling of the other <gasps> toys because of uh, brain confusion, we might have to do an entire show on this. But anyway, continue. We with might, it. we might. I, I, <laughs> Sorry I for the tangent. This one in the pile. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. That that that's fascinating. Mm. Okay, one other Walt likeness thing I wanted to acknowledge. Do you remember the Share a Dream Come True parade at the Magic Kingdom? Every time I'm in a sauna, I do. Yes, Jim. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
there we go. Alluding to the the snow globe, you know, the, the theme that ran through all of those. And oddly enough, one of the only people who wasn't encased in a snow globe in that show. Do you remember the lead float where they actually had a a Walt Disney character? Uh, you know, it was a, a cast member. Seated in an easel, no. supposedly. Oh, no, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did like he'd, uh, yeah. he was pretending to draw and then he turned around and waved. Yeah, yeah, and it was like yeah, he had yeah, just yeah, yeah. finished drawing finished Mickey, drawing. evidently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he had his, his little reference of the Mickey doll that he bought in New York right there in the desk. And it's like, okay, I'm doing this calendar. <laughs> kind of. All right. I, I'm offending people left and right today. By the way, uh, this parade ran at the Magic Kingdom from September of 2001 through March of 2003. Mm-hmm. And again, as you mentioned, it was remembered largely as the Snow Globe Parade. And I cannot tell you what the Disney family thought about this parade, but I'm just going to point out, as Share a Dream Come True was ending its run at the, the Magic Kingdom in early 2003, this is when Michael Eisner was in Philadelphia at the annual shareholders meeting defending his job against uh, Roy Disney and Stanley Gold as they were mounting their Save Disney campaign. So I'm thinking maybe they didn't like it. But anyway, if we're going to talk about Walt's likeness being used in the parks, we obviously need to talk about the partner's statue, uh, the, the, the one that debuted in the hub at Disneyland Park in Anaheim. This would have been in 1993. And as you just pointed out, that you know, the thing of, of Disney history is it, it's sanitized for our protection and then laminated. And in this case, Walt wasn't a fan of these sorts of things. I mean, Blaine Gibson, who was the master sculptor of, mm-hmm. for the, the parks. He did Abe, Abe Lincoln, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and, but here's the thing. Same window of time that he's working on the Lincoln mm-hmm. sculpture for the 64 World's Fair. And it's just a project in his off hours. He does mm-hmm. a bust of Walt. Mm. And Walt sees it and does not have a positive reaction. Now, it's not... Is it because... I mean, Blaine, Blaine Gibson's a great sculptor. So is it because he he's is. uncomfortable being immortalized this way? There we go. Yeah. Okay. Because when you said it, I'm like, oh, that just feels weird. That's it. Exactly. It just sort of Walt's reaction. It had no problem with the likeness or the yeah. pose. It's like, that's what you do for dead guys. And I'm not dead. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, you and know, also I think so, I mean for all the you know for all the things that we for all the stuff we just said about Walt, yeah, I I think the guy did have a a sense of modesty and, and humility about him. Totally, totally. I mean, it just he put his name on the door, but at the same time, you know, it was always fascinating to me is Walt was never a guy who was in it to to make great piles of money. If anything, Walt you know, would make money and then plow it back into the parks or right. plow it back and you know he was more about let's do cool new things. Let's not just pile up money. Yeah. So anyway, Blaine's original bust of Walt never really gets finished. You know, it's it's a work in progress, and but Blaine moves on to his next assignment, which Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion. You know, but Marty Scalar definitely saw Blaine's bust of Walt and then filed that away. And mm-hmm. so Walt dies December of '66. We mm-hmm. jump ahead two decades in an effort to boost attendance at Disneyland in the or excuse me late 1980s mm-hmm. that theme park stages two seasonal events in 87 and 88 we get mm-hmm. the state fair and circus fantasy which state fair and circus fantasy feature all sorts of acts that are temporarily set up around Disneyland park for example <laughs> they set up a cannon in a New Orleans square that would then fire a guy over the rivers of America into a net that was set up I, in front of Tom Sawyer's Island I would pay money Mm-hmm. Just to propose this idea 
and hear the reaction from Disney's lawyers today. Like, I cannot... <laughs> I cannot think of a thing that I would rather do right now than that because we've had discussions off offline about sort of the some of the conversations were were sort of tangentially related to different entities and Disney lawyers right now and this one we're gonna fire oh, yeah. somebody out of a cannon <laughs> and have them land in Thompson Island. It would be just the cherry on top of what Disney's lawyers are going through right now. Okay, go ahead. They did things like they set up a Ferris wheel. I mean, year one for State Fair, mm. it was in front of the, the train station. Year two, they put it in the hub on top of the planter. And this made Marty Scalar crazy. Mm. Marty was part of the initial publicity team for, for Disneyland Park. Yeah. Disneyland doesn't need a Ferris wheel. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. more to the point, Walt worked really hard to create these sight lines. And you put a, you know, that, that if I'm standing at the end of Main Street and I'm looking down and I see a Ferris wheel rather than the castle, the weenie thing yeah, about what's supposed to, you know, you blew work. it. So, yeah. so Scalar decides, I got to put a stop to this. So he remembers that there was this poster that Charles Boyer had drawn back in 1981. It was used to commemorate the two. Hundred millionth visitor to Disneyland it was an image of, of Walt and and Mickey holding hands and and Marty literally takes the, the copy of this poster into Blaine Gibson's office and says, "Hey, you remember that bust you were working on? How would you like to revisit that idea?" And so, using Charles Boyer's poster as a jumping off point, Blaine tries a few ideas with the notion of, of what Marty wants here. That he wants a statue that pairs Walt with Mickey. But there's issues with scale, Len, that mm. if he did Walt at his actual height, uh, which was five foot ten, mm-hmm. Mickey was toddler sized. Oh, you know, like okay. and it, it just, you know, looked very juvenile. So one of the very first things that Blaine did, and again, this is the this is when you're dealing with a master sculptor, he he crept up Walt's height. To six foot five, which oh, then okay. allowed him to scale up Mickey, so he he didn't look quite so okay. Let, let let's get a booster seat for Mickey. He then looked like somebody who could be Walt's lifelong partner. And also, speaking of of juvenile kid stuff, Blaine genuinely struggled what to do with Mickey's free hand, the one that wasn't holding Walt. There was one iteration of the statue where Mickey is holding an e ticket, yeah, but. All right. This is 1991, 92, when he's working on the project. It's been 10 years yeah. since ticket books were used at Disneyland, and everybody is like, yeah, what, what is, yeah. is, is Mickey's holding a grocery list? What's going a on? map? <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah, okay. okay, so they then put, uh, he puts an ice cream cone in Mickey's hand, and, and that that actually negates the whole thing of sizing the sizing, character yeah, up. Yeah, it makes him too kid, yeah, too juvenile. Too yeah, kid, okay. so it's all right. They finally left the hand empty, and... Yeah. By the way, we were just talking on the first installment of the series about that hologram uh, in the pre-show of the Disney 100 exhibit at the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia and how it was supposedly based on Walt of 1954. And what was interesting in the researching of the series is I actually found out that they based, they made their final decision about what era of Walt they wanted to use because Blaine Gibson had done the same thing with his partner's statue. It's like, I'm I'm going for Walt in 1954. This is the guy who's building Disneyland. Oh, it's, he's in the act of building Disneyland and you want the That's active- exactly. Oh, interesting. When you started that uh, with the holographic uh, image of Walt and what it was uh, based on, I'm like, if he says Tupac Shakur at Coachella, 
just died. All right, go ahead. I've heard Madonna, but that's right, another whatever, story. Okay, okay, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, behind the scenes, Blaine's working on this sculpture. Okay. Behind the scenes, Marty's building consensus for the idea that the park really needs something to honor Walt, you know, that okay. remind visitors that the Disney theme parks, are, everything that they're enjoying is the direct result of the creative efforts of one man. So okay. Scalar's thrilled that people quickly get behind this idea, which then brings him to the next phase of his plan. That, well, where should this statue be placed in the park? Out by the entrance? So it's the first thing that guests see as they arrive at Disneyland or in Town Square where Walt gave his dedication speech and it's like, well, Marty, well, I got an idea. You ever, you ever considered the planter in the middle of the park? And go. people at the company say yes and Marty secretly smiles because that means that it's never going to be a Ferris wheel in front of Sleeping Beauty Castle ever again. Checkmate. Okay. <laughs> well, very good. Uh, however, what Scalar hadn't counted on was that the rest of the how the rest of the Disney company would react to the partner statue, which, by the way, unveiled at Disneyland Park November eighteenth, nineteen ninety three. Mickey's birthday. Okay. Yeah, but different parks, different arms of the company immediately begin saying, "Hey, I want one of those too." Hmm. So the Magic Kingdom, Walt Disney World, also gets a partner statue that's dedicated June nineteenth, nineteen ninety five. Then three years later, Tokyo Disneyland gets a partner statue. That one's unveiled April 15th, 1998, 15th anniversary of the opening of Tokyo Disneyland. Next version of the partner statue becomes the centerpiece of Legends Plaza on the yep. Disney lot in Burbank, basically in front of the Dwarfs building. This is the court where the Disney legend plaques are put up. Right. And the fifth and to this point, final uh, version of Partner Statue was unveiled on opening day at Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris, which opened March 16th, 2002. And we've got one coming up in Epcot, right? We do. We do. And we'll, we'll get that at that at moment because once the seal is broken, Len. Yeah, once, you know, once you've set a precedent, yep. Yeah, to get her, the Disney parks went from no statues honoring Walt to then all sorts of statues honoring various Disney family members or Walt from different eras. So, first of these appeared October of 99. It's a statue also done by Blaine Gibson of mm -hmm. Walt's brother Roy and Minnie Mouse uh, entitled Sharing the Magic. This was placed approximately where Roy stood in Town Square when he gave Disney World's dedication speech back in October of 71. This statue gets moved every year to a different spot on Main Street when the Magic Kingdom is being direct decorated for Halloween, which, you know, you just don't see that happening at the Lincoln Memorial. <laughs> it's out, you know, by the reflecting pool for a couple of weeks. Anyway, we're putting up some tinsel. So do they, they move it to a different spot? Like it's in a different spot each year? I want to say they put it over by uh, Town Hall. And yeah. what's especially interesting about sharing the magic is Blaine puts the same care and thought that he put into the composition of that statue that he did into Partners. With Partners, you have Walt sort of gesturing down Main Street as if pointing out to Mickey, look look what we did. You know, look yeah. at all the people enjoying what we've created. Whereas Roy, who had a quieter backstage role when it came to running the Disney company, is seated, a much less prominent position, deliberate contrast to the dynamic way Walt statue is staged. Walt also depicted the way he's holding Minnie's hand it's it's from beneath. He's supporting her hand, as in. Oh, in this, that's a nice touch. Yeah, well, that's it exactly. This is Blaine's way of honoring what Roy did over the years, supporting all the crazy projects that his totally got as soon as you said it. Yeah, 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 yeah. great. But and the other thing that, frankly, and this really influenced all of the statues that were done for the Disney parks going forward is. Sharing the magic isn't up on a pedestal. You know, it's it's not on a right. planter in the center right, of the yeah. park, surrounded by a low fence. 
Roy and Minnie are seated on a bench that's right down on the ground. In fact, there's one spot deliberately left open so guests can join them, which visitors to the Magic Kingdom just loved. And which explains why, when the company decided they wanted to do yet another statue of Walt and Mickey, uh, only this one, Storytellers, mm-hmm. uh, depicts the young Walt and the equally young Mickey. And you can tell he's a, a younger Mickey because uh, than the one in Partners because he's pie-eyed in, in the style of Mickey of the, the late 20s, early 30s. In the, in the 2020s. Uh, there we go. He's back. Okay. Yeah. This statue is also not up on a podium or behind a fence. It's low to the ground where guests can get their pictures taken with, with Walt and Mickey. Now, Very smart. Blaine Gibson dies in July of 2015. So he did not sculpt storytellers. So, which makes me think that it was done by Valerie Edwards, who was the director of sculpture at Walt Disney uh, Imagineering after Blaine retired from WDI. Now, what's interesting is Blaine retired from Disney in 83, but kept coming back to do special projects. Like, for example, he did all of the presidents in the Hall of Presidents up to George W. Bush. Right. You know, so literally years, you know, just years before we lost him, Blaine's still on the job. Anyway, Storytellers is unveiled for the first time at the D23 Expo in August of 2011. The first version of the statue is unveiled at Disney's California Adventure Park when that theme park's Buena Vista Street finally opens in June of 2012. And the folks at Tokyo Disney Resort so enjoyed this depiction of a young traveling Walt. I mean, and that's the thing. If you ever get to see this statue up close, I mean, the details are crazy. I mean, yep. for example, you can tell looking at the suitcase that Mickey is standing on, it's a cardboard suitcase, Len. And it, more to the point, it's falling apart. So Tokyo, the guys at Tokyo are like, well, we want a storyteller too. So that gets installed at Tokyo Disney Seas in October of 2013. Mm-hmm. And a version of the same statue uh, gets installed at Shanghai Disneyland at the top of Mickey Avenue. That's that theme park's weird marriage of Main Street USA and Mickey's Toontown mm-hmm. uh, just three years later in June of 2016. And that's part of the grand opening of Shanghai Disney Resort. I love that Disney had the foresight to allow people to take pictures with these. Because, you know, in 2011, the Mm -hmm. iPhone's been out for a couple of years. Cameras are inexpensive and cheap and everyone Mm -hmm. has them. But still, the idea of making the statue accessible to the public is not something Disney would generally do with its statues. No. But in this case, not only is it good publicity for Disney, it's good design as well. Like, it makes the guests feel good. So, yeah, good decision on that one. All the way around, yeah. Which brings us to the statue you <laughs> Which mentioned. Which brings us the, to, the, to the questionable decision. <laughs> yeah. It's Walt, all right. It's all right. The Dreamer statue. Now, that when the plans to change Future World into three separate neighborhoods, World Nature, World Discovery, World Celebration, were first revealed, uh, again, at a D23 Expo, this one in 2019, mm-hmm. one of the things that caught a lot of Disney's attention was the statue that was supposed to be displayed at Dreamer's Point, which will be located just behind Spaceship Earth. This is supposed to depict a Walt Disney towards the end of his life. This is the guy who set Project Florida in motion before passing away of December of 66. And Lenny keys off of a specific quote that Walt gave in an interview in the final year of his life. He was looking over the plans for Epcot, the city, and actually pointed to a spot where he wanted a bench 
installed so that he and his wife Lillian could sit mm-hmm. there and watch all the happy people go by. So this quote is what supposedly inspired this statue and more importantly, the pose for Walt the Dreamer. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, to give guests access so they can take pictures, they can do a selfie of themselves with Walt. Uh, Walt the Dreamer is positioned low to the ground in a seated position that will be easily accessible to guests. The statue was unveiled just this past year uh, at, at uh, the D23 Expo. You may recall people made fun of the pose, you know, with a number of people making suggestions that it looked like Walt was on the John. Hopefully, this thing will look much more dignified when it's finally in position at Spaceship Earth on a spaceship on a spacious set of granite steps. Uh, by the way, Len, it's already on property. Uh, cast members who would attended this year's Walt Disney Legacy Award celebration at the Contemporary Resort, uh, were able to get their pictures taken with Walt the Dreamer. It was was set up as you arrived. It was there in the lobby of the convention center. There are folks at the company who are a little concerned, especially given uh, there are people who go to Epcot's Festival of Food and Wine who get Overserved? Is that the polite way of saying this? They get themselves um, drunk. Let's put the let's put the responsibility where it, where it's supposed to be. Okay, they get themselves okay. drunk. Okay, all right. Fair enough. Yeah. So there's just a concern that what are guests who had one too many going to do, given the opportunity to get their yeah. picture taken with the given the combination of, of alcohol and uh, easy to use photo editing software on your phone? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny because when this sculpture the concept for it came out Mm -hmm. i tried to think of you know my immediate thought was it looks like he's 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 on the toilet Mm -hmm. in the last the last time laurel and i walked through the Mm -hmm. metropolitan museum of art in new Mm -hmm. york you know they've got a uh a bunch of rodin sculpture there right and Mm -hmm. i i have looked at the various iterations of rodin's the thinker many Mm -hmm. times Mm -hmm. not once did i think this man is going to the bathroom Mm -hmm. it just never occurred to me Mm-hmm. On it, so we'll see. so maybe maybe it is one of those things where it's like we look at it over time and everyone every everyone stops thinking about that. Well, so, to I, your point, we have to see it. We have to see it as it's supposed to be in the real world, not in uh, not in isolated context. Are you aware of the the Einstein Memorial in Washington D.C.? It's it's on Constitution Avenue, kind of across the street from the Vietnam Memorial. No, I'm not. Yeah. It's this wonderful statue. Of Albert Einstein, but it's an Albert Einstein. It was done by sculptor Robert uh, Bricks, and it's an Einstein who's probably eighteen feet tall, but he's seated. <laughs> and and the weird part of it is, wait, that- is this right before Einstein destroys Tokyo? <laughs> yeah, that yeah, I've seen me. this movie. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay, but the thing of it is, the way the statue is positioned, you know, it's this this wonderful little low wall, and he's in a seated position. You're actively encouraged to climb into Einstein's lab. In fact, he has a lovely book there with some of his writings. I have and, seen this. Yeah, yeah. And people do it. And that's the that's the gag, right? Yeah. So yeah. there are statues where, again, if anything, it's humbling to see you know, this great man in, in, in this way. And, and the fact that you're so much smaller when you climb into his lap because he was a great man. And it's just sort yeah. of like... Uh, and I love that about this statue. And I guess yeah. that's the thing that concerns me a little bit about Walt the Dreamer is that this is this is a Walt 
who's deliberately put down low. And, and for those yeah. who want to honor the guy or are excited to be, you know, that, that that's Walt Disney, the man who made it all happen. There's going to be a lot of people who want to get their pictures taken with them, but it's just sort of like, I'm, I'm just kind of hoping that, yeah. you know, there's a Disney security person who, you know, just... <laughs> hanging in the area and it's like no 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 walt does not need a drink or a cigarette you can move along now <laughs> exactly i mean i hope people love it you know i hope it's yeah. uh i hope it's same thing here same thing yeah here. good so. good good all right we'll see when does it uh when is it supposed to come out disney is still being pretty cagey about when this portion of world discovery and world nature let's not forget about the moana yeah. journey of water and all of that when this is all supposed to open, I've been hearing fall, late fall of 2023. I've also heard late winter, early spring of 2024. I think Disney at this point wants to keep it, its options open. And um, if we're being completely honest here. It's, if we're being completely honest, Jim, it's going to be the midpoint between the opening of Tron and the opening of Tiana's Bio-Adventure. <laughs> well, there we go. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there, there are certain other projects that may be able For marketing purposes. Yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> I think we talked to the same PR person at Disney. There we go. Because I there swear go. to God, I got, the, we got almost the exact same answer. You know, well, no. That's any, I mean, if you listen carefully, let yeah. it back in, you can hear them nailing the jello to the wall. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, great. All right. Well, good story, Jim. That's fantastic. Thanks to all the folks who, who chimed in with, with, oh, you forgot this. And it's like, yeah, yeah. thank you. I did forget that. So It's it's a group effort. It takes a village it to is. make a podcast. There we go. All right, folks. That's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and at Jimmy Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, it's the 10th anniversary of the Disney Dish. So Jim and I are traveling to Las Vegas to renew our vows. Okay, that's only partly true, but we are going to Las Vegas, as well as Universal Studios Hollywood, Disneyland, and a secret location we'll tell you about after we're done recording the shows. In the meantime, next week's show is on Cinderella-bration. We'll talk all about that and more. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. Were produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be reading The Very Hungry Caterpillar and other stories at the We Are All Readers Children's Book Festival on Saturday, April 1st, starting at 10 a.m. at the North Kingston High School, Go Skippers, in beautiful downtown North Kingston, Rhode Island. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.